I'm glad you're here. There's lots to talk about. Um, it's, it's becoming more and more apparent to me how, how important it is to have uh, in front of you uh, the structure of the universe, if you will. Um, an understanding of not just uh, where you are right now, but where you're going and, and the world that you exist in. And what I'm getting at is building a little bit on, on what we were talking about um, last week. Uh, that, that, that talk I, I recommend if you, if, you, if you haven't heard it, and it, I'm going to pick up where we left off, but, but really try to, to go over and, and, and hammer home, ideally, the, 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 the key points here. That, that, one, was ta- that, that one was called um, Believing in Happy Endings, uh, Overcoming Worrying. Okay? I tried to make the title even longer, but I, I ran out of letters. <laughs> but anyway, um, so let's... Let's, let's get back into the, the headspace of the last talk. You see, you see, a lot of people make a mistake, which is the following. They, they have before them um, this sort of like abstract sort of realm. And it's not concrete in their mind. Or put another way, people don't necessarily believe what they believe. What I mean by that is if you, if you ask someone, well... Do you believe in the next world? Do you believe that there's a, a heaven? Do you believe uh, in that? A lot of people will, will they'll say yes, or maybe, or I hope so. In a, in a weird way, that's even a worse answer, because that sort, of gives you a, uh, that sort of gives you a way of hiding and not thinking through what you actually believe. You say, well, I hope so, or, or, or something like that. And so, and so everything is left in terms of the greater reality of the structure of the universe, and I'm using those terms very deliberately, the structure of the universe, everything is left as sort of like this vague notion. And, and the thing is, is, is this. You know, I was talking with someone, I shared this last week, but I was talking with someone, and, and I said the following. Do you, you know, because, you see, you see, these are such vast subjects. And, and they, they press on so many different buttons in terms of how a person is composed and how a person feels day to day in terms of a person's background, in terms of learning and not learning and all the rest, that, that sometimes it's hard to cut through very clinically and precisely and get rid of all of the mess when we're talking about these issues. So I'm going to try to try a, 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 a particular road on this giant map. And, and just with great specificity, try to say something very, very simple. Okay? That's a very lengthy, complicated introduction to a conclusion that finished with, I'm going to try to say something very simple. But anyway, here's the, here's the other simple part. Okay? Do you believe that you possess a soul? So, most people will say yes. Even people who won't describe themselves as religious will say yes. You see, that's already cutting through all of the gobbledygook, all the doublespeak, all the, all the academics. Do you believe that you have a soul? Most people will say yes. And it doesn't matter about most people. Just answer the question for yourself. Yes, I have a soul. Question number two. Do you believe that that soul lives on after you? Again, most people will say yes. All right, so then, if that's the case, 
Where does that soul go? Where does that soul go? Does it just disappear? Like, where does it go? So we say that there's a realm, if you want to get a little bit technical, we call it the Olam Hanashamos, the world of souls, or some people call it Olam Abba, which is the world to come, although that term gets a little bit confusing because that also refers to the Messianic era, so there's a little bit of an overlap, but the Rambam, for instance, uses it to describe uh, the world of souls. Some people will call it the Garden of Eden, okay, whatever it is. It's a realm. It's a spiritual realm. All right, fine. That's where the soul goes. Very good. And we say that that everyone passes through this in-between state, which in in Torah we call Gehenim, which is um, mistranslated as hell. Gehenim, as we understand it, is this temporary sphere that someone, every soul passes through, the most righteous and the least righteous all pass through this sphere, and depending on how, how righteous a person is, or how much soul cleaning a person needs, is how long they spend in this area. The righteous zip, just zip through, and other people, you know, for better or for worse, spend longer there. Okay? But it's, it's, it's just a soul cleaning place. Okay, great. And then the soul ascends to this place of eternal reward. Now, this is a, an actual place. This is an actual place which the Rambam takes great pains to say exists right now. It's not an idea. It's not a hope. It's a, it's a realm that exists right now as we speak. The souls of all of our dearly departed and all the rest are there right now. They're there right now. It's a place. You can point to it. It has its own integrity and its own reality and its own laws of nature, if you will. The souls ascend. They bask in the light of Hashem. They daven for us. There's, okay, so what I'm trying to take pains to explain is the reality of that dimension. Why is that important? Why is that important? It's important because... If you understand that, okay, it's sort of like, okay, here's my schedule, here's my schedule, I got to go to the supermarket, I got to pick up some tuna, then I got to get home, I got to make sure that I'm home because the kids are coming home from school, and I got to make sure that I'm there to open up the door, then I got a meeting, I got to go to the other side of town, I'm out of gas, I got to get some gas in my car, I got to die, after I die I'm going to heaven, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's not like... It's not like, it's there. It's, it's part of the schedule. It's part of the schedule. It's a reality. Just like the person's office exists in that building on the fifth floor and all the rest, and you got your parking spot underneath, there's heaven right above earth, and a person's going to have their space right there. It's what it is. And it says, the Torah says, Every single Jew and the righteous of all of the nations have a place. In other words, well, if if I get to heaven. No, not if you get to heaven. You're going to heaven. So you say, okay, well, maybe it exists and I hear what you're saying, but I'm not going because I'm not perfect. 
Perfect people go to heaven. Holy people go to heaven. No. No, no, no. Everybody's going. <laughs> You're all going. It says that one of the reasons why there are 613 mitzvahs is because no one can get through their life without doing something right. It's literally impossible to get through your life without doing something right. So every single person has a share in heaven. This is... Thank you. you. That's that's an awesome thing. So in other words, one of the gnawing... Again, I'm just trying to create a sense of clarity and a sense of structure so that you can see the map of reality right now. That's That's my intention right now. So that you don't, you don't consign, just like you enter into your house and there's the lobby area, and then there's the bedroom or the living room. Heaven is there. It's not like, well, I hope it's there, or I hope I get to that place. That's not what it is. It's there and you're going to that place. Okay. So now... Since everyone gets there, obviously, you know, just like at a concert, they're, they're good seats and they're better seats, right? So, so depending on a person's merit and what they do in this lifetime, they then rise to a higher place, or, or they're, but they're in the hall. Either way, they're basking in this, this, this awesome, awesome light. Okay. But they're definitely, they're definitely levels. All right. So now, why, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because this has to be a person's idea of their own life. I think that a lot of the problems that we experience and a lot of the pains that we experience is because we see our life in this world as the culmination of our entire existence. And if we can understand the eternality of the soul, and we can understand that there's absolutely not just a happy ending to all of our lives, but a glorious ending to all of our lives, and that this world is, the, is going to be the basis of our eternal existence, then we'll make the most out of the opportunities that we have in the here and now. The idea of, you see, look, you know, if the idea of the soul existing inside of a body, that, that's something that seems like very normal to us, like how could it be otherwise? But that is actually kind of the exception. What a person can do in terms of actually having a body is they can create cause and effect in this world in a way that they're not going to be able to later. So this is a unique opportunity, and it's very, very fast. You know, we were talking about it before, before the talk started, and it's, it's something that you, you, you just can't convey to someone who's younger. And by it's showing my age right now, by younger I mean someone even in their 20s or perhaps their 30s. Is, is the reality of how when one gets older, time goes by faster and faster and faster and faster. 
And it's scary. It's scary. It's really scary. Um, so this world flies by. This world flies by. All right. So now I want to take many steps back right now. You see, you see, life is good and we have to treasure our time in this world. Some people might hear what I'm saying and say, God forbid, well, if heaven's so great, let me get there fast, I'll just jump in front of this car. It's the biggest sin in the entire Torah. It's the biggest sin in the entire Torah. Horrible, don't even think about it, right? So, or if you are, check yourself into a hospital because you need help. Don't do it. It's, it's a horrible thing. But things are much better than they may seem. Much, 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 much better. And a person, the normal, healthy, well-adjusted person, during times of great stress, or even every day, should allow themselves to contemplate the fact that they're going to heaven. And allow themselves to think, you know something? My life, my soul, is one long continuity. And the reality of my existence is the existence of my soul. And the body is kind of a PS. And if this is me, and I really do live forever, and that's really where I am going, then you know what? What am I stressing for? So I make a little less money. So the, the dinner that I was really looking forward to got burnt or wasn't appreciated by the people who I spent a lot of time making it for. Or that girl who really should be in love with me is not in love with me. Or that guy. Or whatever it is. Whatever it is. If you allow yourself to think about really where your life is going, in a real concrete way, you're going to say to yourself, okay, listen, I'm set. I'm set. You know something? I, I'll describe to you a very weird moment that happened to me. I was, uh, this might sound strange, but hopefully you'll see the connection. It was my junior year at Harvard. And my grades were not great. My parents were not rich. My father did not own a corporation or something like that. He didn't really know people who owned corporations. So in other words, the idea of me getting out of college and just being able to uh, live on my father's wealth, no, that, that wasn't going to happen. Or my father just saying, hey, you graduated, congratulations, doesn't matter what kind of grades you got, because I'm just going to call Bob over at the club, and you're going to start over at, uh, you know, you know, Big Shot Corp, you know, so uh, let me take you shopping to Brooks Brothers and, you know, we'll get a really nice wardrobe and uh, congratulations. Meet you at the golf course. Like, that was not my, that, that was, that was not in the script for me, you know. I was a guy with, you know, middling grades at best and, you know, no real connections, you know. And, um, 
And I thought to myself, you know, but there are people at this school. And I was lying on my, I have a mental picture of me, like, thinking this through. I'm lying on my bed thinking this through. And I'm thinking, you know, but there are people at this school who do actually fall into that category. They, they, they really are. It doesn't matter. They just have to make it through. And then once they make it through, they're going to get set up and then they're going to kind of go on. And that's what it is. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, I'm not in that category. But you know what? People, I, you know, because I had a bunch of I had a lot of friends in college and I thought, you know, people enjoy working with me. So what if I just kind of decide that I am in that category. <laughs> I just heard, it's not true. <laughs> and I'm not talking about lying or misrepresenting myself. That wasn't the point. I was just talking about an attitude adjustment. You know, what if I decide that I'll just, what if I just decide that, you know, things actually are going to work out. It's going to be fine. And that's what it is. And it made me so happy. It made me so happy. Now, that, if that were the end of the thought, and if that were actually my advice, that would be, I think, really pitiful advice. However, there actually is a very real version of that in all of our lives. Which is that, so to speak, we do have the ultimate connection, which is our Father, our Father in Heaven, actually does run the entire universe and actually does have a spot for us reserved in heaven for us in the right time, after 120, as they say. And there is this glorious, happy ending. And it's waiting for us. So there's nothing really wrong. There's nothing really wrong with us accessing that mindset and that reality right now, if that is in fact the reality. So what I'm urging is for all of us to allow ourselves when we get stressed, and maybe even when we don't get stressed, to say, you know something? Yeah, maybe this didn't work out, maybe I'm challenged with that, but you know what? It all ends fantastically for me. I'm going to a fantastic place. So, so now, obviously, there can be a downside to that type of thinking, which is that a person doesn't try and a person doesn't work. Because a person goes, well, it all ends well, so what does it matter? But, let me just tell you a teaching, which is that in the next world, believe it or not, it says that you'll be able to see your neighbor's olam haba. By neighbor, I, I don't mean the person who lives next to you right now. But you'll be able to see in heaven other people's heavenly reward. See, every time you do something, this is one way of thinking of it. Every time, let's say, you walk by someone uh, on the street who's... You know, my mother told me something very, very beautiful. You know, sometimes people on the street, they'll, they'll ask you for some money. And then... Everybody knows the, the other category, which is more heartbreaking, which is the person who just sits there slumped over and can't even ask. Right? So sometimes you can walk by a person like that and go, well, he didn't ask me, so I'm not going to give him or her. Right? But my mother told me, 
The people who can't even ask her, the people who need it even more. So, you know, you've got to go up to them and, you know, can I give you some money for some food or whatever it is. And most times, most people will take it, you know. So don't let yourself off the hook just because someone didn't ask you. You, you, we really don't have permission to walk by a poor person without giving them something. You know, I... Reb Shlomo Karlovach, my Rebbe, was very, very great uh, in many tons of areas, and one of the most amazing areas was in terms of his relationship with... with well, anyone who is, who is of broken spirit, but, but, but particularly the homeless... And uh, those who knew him in the, in the neighborhood of the Upper West Side of New York, he was legendary among the homeless there as being, a, you know, holy and helping them. And, and they came to his funeral and there are many stories like this. But anyway, the point is, is that one time uh, I, was, I was in Shabbos, but I had done it early and Reb Shlomo, it wasn't officially Shabbos yet, Reb Shlomo was still going to the mikvah so he took me with him to the mikveh. It was actually my first time going. And uh, we walked by a homeless person, and I was in my Shabbos clothes and everything like that, but, you know, like I said, it wasn't Shabbos yet. And so Rav Shlomo talked to the man and gave him some money, and I walked by, and he looked at me. The, the point is that anyone who knows Rav Shlomo or, or who knew him or knows about him, he didn't really criticize people at all. He just encouraged them. He just encouraged them. But in this instance, he, he actually said to me, like, he couldn't understand why I hadn't given him any money. You know? And uh, I told him, I said, oh, you know, I'm in Shabbos, so, you know, I don't, I don't have any cash on me. And, you know, that he understood that. But then he said to me, you know, it says in the Gomorrah that you're not allowed to walk by a poor person without giving them money. So, and by the way, you should know that there are many levels of tzedakah. One level of tzedakah is actually smiling at a poor person. So if for whatever reason you don't have the money or you don't have the wherewithal to give the money, because sometimes, you know, it's harder, whatever it is, you can smile. And it says that the number of blessings that a person gets, it says in the Gomorrah, the number of blessings that a person gets, if they give someone some money, or if they give them some money and say something nice to them while they're giving them the money, it can't even compare how much more, how much more of a reward there is, how much more of a mitzvah it is to actually say something encouraging and nice to the person when you give them some money than just giving them some money. And, so, and it goes all the more to say that if someone just gives money with a frown on their face or something like that, what are you doing? Just what are you doing, you know? Um, so, okay, so now all of this, believe it or not, was background for, for this point, okay, because that, that, that was a little bit review, but, but again, just to, just to make very clear, understanding that the next world is part of the physical construct of this universe, let me... And, and I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm so desperate to communicate this point. I, I, let, let me just say it to you one more way, okay? You see, when God made the universe, what he did was, he took his infinite light, like they talk about the or ein sof, that means light without end. God took his infinite light, 
and he compressed it and compressed it and compressed this light until the light slowly, slowly became more and more material, physical, until finally it became this physical universe. That's called simsum. Okay, it's a Kabbalistic term. But, but, but what's, what's important about that is that one shouldn't think that we've got the physical world, and then some people say there's a spiritual world, or there's spirituality, or whatever it is, and that's a separate idea. That's not it at all. There's a seamless continuity, a seamless continuity from the spiritual to the physical. So I like to joke, which is that someone says, I'm not spiritual. It's like, dude, you're made out of spirituality. That's all you are. That's all this world is. So, 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 so in between the highest level of just pure, unadulterated light and the bottom level, which is actual physicality, you know, where you can actually touch something and bang on it, in between are these states where the spiritual and the physical are sort of gelling together more and more as we head into the, spirit, into the physical world. Is that clear? Is that clear? So, so this idea of heaven, if you will, is this intermediate state between the physical universe and the highest aspects of Hashem Himself. So in other words, in this intermediate state, it's much more spiritual than this world, but the soul itself still has an independent integrity and reality within that realm. realm. So it's this mixture of, of, it's mostly spiritual, but you have the physical outlines and physical definitions of things, just to use the vocabulary of our world, because I'm sure it's very different there. You see, Rabbi Ari Kaplan says, if you think of a computer, you have hardware and software. Hardware is the actual physical computer itself. Software is what runs on the computer, like Microsoft Word. That's, that's software. Okay? So, and then you can put that on a disk, right? You, put, you take the disk and you put it into the machine itself. The software goes into the hardware. Rabbi Kaplan says the software is your soul. The hardware is your body. When a person leaves this world, what happens is the, you know, the, 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 the physical computer, you hit the eject button, and out comes the disk with everything about you printed on it. Okay? But that in itself is still a physical reality. It's not as physical as the computer, but it has a physicality to it. So when the soul ascends, it's not this purely abstract thing which just gets absorbed into the great ether and disappears. That's what I'm trying to say. You remain you even after your life in this world. Right? Because it's all on the disc. And how do we recognize each other? So I, I heard someone say something very beautiful. You recognize each other. Like, I'll, after 120, I'll go up to heaven, God willing, and I'll... Well, no, I will. But I'll go up to a good place in heaven or a better place in heaven. I, that's the God willing part. And mm. I'll look around and I'll see... There will be this other soul. Now, how do you recognize each other since you don't have bodies? Because what will be imprinted on you is all of the mitzvahs that you did. 
So I'm going to see, I, who knows what this is going to look like, but I'm going to see this soul, and imprinted on it is, I gave birth to David Sachs, and raised him, and changed his diapers, and I'm going to go, Mom! Right? That's going to be like this awesome, awesome moment, right? So, but again, again, what I'm trying to communicate to you is that this realm that we're calling heaven is not like the highest top of everything and it's so abstract that who even knows? That it's this intermediate place where there's some, it's mostly spiritual, but still you remain you. So there's an aspect of physicality in it because it's this in-between symptom state between pure spirituality and pure light and the purely physical. Are people following that? Are you, are you, are you getting that? Because what I'm trying to convey to you is that these are concrete places. That this is real. Because if you understand the reality of it, then you can think about it in terms of your life in this world. And you can say, okay, what am I stressing out for? What am I, what am I stressing out for? It ends well. Now let me just make the appropriate, deci- the appropriate decisions and all the rest. Okay. So now we're ready for the next part. The next part is, and the Ramchal talks about it, at the end of the path of the just, okay? He talks about this idea of holiness. So, how does he define who a holy person is? Alright? Now, this is at the end of a very great book, okay? So, so there's, there's much information leading to this idea, okay? But I want to just give you this as a, um, as a reference point for all of us, okay? He says that after a person reaches the state of um, being tahor, which means pure, and again, a lot goes into his definition of what constitutes someone who's tahor. Okay, by the way, you want to hear something uh, really amazing? I just learned, I was learning uh, with my son, with my sons actually, the how to wash yourself in the shower. You ready for this? So, so yeah, I'll explain to you the connection in a bit. So you begin like this. Everyone should know, believe it or not, there's a Torah way to an order in which you watch your body. Okay? You start with your head. So you do your shampoo. Shampoo first. Face second. And do you know what the third thing is? This made me so happy. Made me so happy when I learned this. Men, do you want to tell them what the third place is? No, you're shy? The third place is your heart. You wash, you shampoo your head, you wash your face, and the third place is your heart. You wash your heart. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And I thought a while back, if you want a special kavana, a special thing to have in mind, when you wash your heart in the shower, right? Because that's the first part of your body, really, that you're washing. There's a, there's a thing that we say in the, in the, in the davening. You can have that in mind while you're soaping your heart. Right? Which means that, please God, purify our heart so that we can serve you in truth. Right? Isn't that a nice thing to think? Okay, so then you wash your heart. Then you wash your right hand. Then your left hand. Then your right foot. Then your left foot. Then the rest of your body. Okay? So, shampoo, face, 
Heart, right hand, left hand, right foot, left foot, rest of the body. I mean, how great is the Torah that there's a way to shower? I mean, you can, like, never stop kissing the Torah for a thousand years. There's a holy way to take a shower? Thank you, God. And why is that, by the way? You know, this is a point that I always try to emphasize with people. Because some people might mishear what I just said. Some people may mishear it in the following way. Now i got to wash myself in a particular way? <laughs> I can't have a little piece of the shower? You can't give me a break? Come on! And it's the opposite of that. It's the opposite of that. It's because God is everywhere in His goodness, and that even the most mundane act can be sanctified. You can elevate anything. You can elevate anything and everything. And the Torah tells you how to elevate absolutely every single moment. This is the glory of being in this world. That everything counts. That God cares. That it matters. And that we have the opportunity to sanctify His name even doing the most mundane things. It's the greatness of our opportunity of having souls in our bodies. Okay. So now let's get back to this point. So, 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 so the Ramchal is saying that a, a pure person, and I'm, I'm really making this very simple because I'm really no expert in this, but I, I just want to give you the, the general concept because the general concept is very important. Is someone who's basically achieved a level where the material world is no longer influencing them and corrupting them. Okay? So that's, that's a level of purity. But there's a higher level than purity, and that's holiness. So what's holiness? So now listen to this, because everything that I've been saying has really been leading up to this one thought, okay? What have we been saying up until now? There is a next world. It's not a hope. It's not a wish. It's on the map. We're all going there. That's, that's it. It's a reality. The holy person is thinking about the next world, is thinking about this world also, but so much so that he's so attuned to the reality of the eternality of his own soul's existence and of the next world that that's his main dwelling place even when he's in a body in this world. So that it's possible for a person to actually walk through this world and yet, they're really denizens of the next world while they're in this world. Now, great things are said about a person who's like that. They're called a mikdash. They're called like a tabernacle, like the, like the, like the base of mikdash. They're called a mizbeach. They're called a merkava. These are like, that's a chariot. That's, these are the highest, highest highest appellations, the highest, most exalted terms that can be attributed to a human being while they're in this world. What does it mean that they're a Mizbeach, an altar, like in the base of Migdash? That means that they're so refined because they're dwelling in the next world while they're in this world simultaneously. Right? We talked about a person, you have to have your head in the clouds and your feet on the ground. This is now taking it to the next level and showing you what, what it means your head in the clouds, right? 
You're actually existing in the reality of Olam Abba while you're in this world. So that means when you eat, when a person eats, I mean, imagine the act of eating. It, when, a, when a person like this eats, it's the same as when you bring an offering to the Holy Temple. Because your structure, remember we talked about it many, many times, how the, the structure of the tabernacle um, mirrors the structure of a human being's body. So when you're like that, when you're firmly planted like that, the food that you eat is mamish and is ver. It's like an offering that's ascending to the next world. We talked about how the Mishkan itself, the tabernacle itself, was that connecting point between heaven and earth. Right? So that's what you become. Remember, remember when uh, Yosef reveals himself to the brothers and Benjamin cries on, on Yosef's neck. Right? And it says that why was he crying on his neck? Because the neck stands for the Mishkan, for the, for the Holy Temple. And he was crying over its destruction. So why is the Mishkan called a neck? Because, because the Mishkan, the tabernacle, connects heaven and earth. Heaven is like your head. Earth is like your body. The central connecting point is your neck. Right? So, so it's like when you are mindful of the reality of the next world, and that's a, and, 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 and that's a day in, day out, tangible thing for you. Then your head is in heaven. Your body is in earth. And you're that connecting point. Okay. So this is a place that we can get to. This is a place that we can get to. This is a place that we can strive for. You know, I want to end with a, with a story, one of my favorite stories, which I think helps to at least tangentially illustrate what, what, I, what I've been trying to tell you. You know, one of the, what I think one of the great genres of literature, actually, is the, is the Torah child genius storage. There are many. It's a, whole, it's a whole field, you know? I mean, I think someone should make a book and anthologize all of the Torah child genius stories. So it would make a, a great book. And uh, one of them, I heard in the name of the Ger Rebbe, the young Ger Rebbe, is an older rabbi, while he was still a child, says to him, I'll give you, and I don't know what the coin of the realm was, let's, let's use modern terms and say a penny, I'll give you a penny if you can tell me where God is. And he says back, I'll give you two pennies if you can tell me where God isn't. Right? So, I love that story. And it's clear to all of us that he got the better of the older rabbi. But I was thinking about it, I was trying to figure out, how did he get the better of him? Why, why is that such a good story? What, what did he say that the other one didn't say? So when the older rabbi said, I'll give you a penny if you can tell me where God is, the answer he was looking for was everywhere, right? And yet, what did the young Ger Rebbe say? He said, I'll give you two pennies if you can tell me where God isn't. This is very deep. He said back to him, you know, it's not just that God is everywhere. What's the problem with saying God is everywhere? If you say that God is everywhere, 
then my mind can't hold that idea. It's too big for me. Which means, inevitably, God then will become an abstraction. God will not be a concrete reality in the way I think anymore. Like we're saying how the next world has to be a concrete reality in the way that we think. He was saying there's no place where God isn't. Which means everywhere you look, that's where God is. Every single thing is a signpost that God is here. Not just that God is there, that God is here. This world went in a strange place when Adam and Chava ate from the tree of knowledge. And it became much more challenging for us as human beings. The way I heard Rabbi Green put it one time is a phenomenal way of understanding it. You see, the plan was Adam and Chava were created Arab Shabbos. And they had their work to do. And it was a very big job, by the way. The challenge not to eat from the tree of knowledge was a, an enormous temptation. It wasn't just like, ah, how come they did that? It was an enormous, an enormous temptation. But the way it was supposed to go was they were supposed to not eat from the tree. And then a few hours later, right, would come Shabbos. And that would have been the fixing of the entire world, the culmination of all of human existence. Okay. Now, we know that Shabbos represents the Messianic period. The Messianic period is called the day that will be all Shabbos. So now listen to this. Here's the point. It's a very, very interesting point. What happens is, all of human history, and it's been thousands of years right now, all of human history is one long Arab Shabbos. And we've gotten, periodically, certain moments where we could have gotten into Shabbos, but we've missed those opportunities, and what happens is, Erev Shabbos gets lengthened some more. So we're still in that, all of human history is still that intermediate period between the sixth day and the seventh day Mamish. And we're still trying to get back to that place still trying to get into the great Shabbos. You know, I thought one time, we have a mitzvah, it's called Hashavas HaVeda, which means the returning of lost objects. But if you look at the word Hashavas, it means, the letters actually literally spell Hashabat Aveda, which means the lost Shabbos. Because that first Shabbos was supposed to be the end of the culmination, the perfection of the world. But it got lost to us. And now we're in the process of getting it back. So, let's just review and we'll end. One has to believe what they believe. 
One has to believe what they believe. If you believe that you have a soul, if you believe that your soul outlives your body, if you believe that your soul goes to a particular place, and that place is a great place, then you have to understand that is the ultimate reality and you have to allow yourself to assimilate that into your schedule just like your morning appointment at the supermarket and at the office and at the car wash. Let's say it again. I've got to get up. I've got to get to the office. I've got to be home to get the children in. I've got to die. I've got to go to heaven. Right? It's got to be part of the schedule. Once you understand that it's a schedule and it's the reality and it's how the physical universe is constructed as we talked about, then you have to allow yourself to dwell in that space while you're still in this space. And then you allow yourself to transform into something that's absolutely the pinnacle of human existence, which is to be a mikdash and a mizbeach and a merkava, a chariot and an altar and a holy tabernacle yourself. And that everything that you then do will be the ultimate filter system between taking the physicality of this world, filtering it through you, through you. What an exalted state! And turning it into pure holiness for the nachas ruach, for the, for the pleasure and the sanctification of Hashem. Let us be able to see this with our own eyes. And, and until it becomes the ultimate reality, Let's be blessed that we'll make it the ultimate reality with ourselves.